Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. It's been a while, eight weeks to be exact, since we last recorded an episode, but we're back and with a blockbuster review of the summer, talking about the two tours de France, the World Championships and the Vuelta a España, well, I guess what we can remember off them. Uh, joining me to do so is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? We are back. Here we are. I'm very good. Uh, although I did just have to tell you off air that we'll preface the episode with this. You said we've been gone for eight weeks? I Yeah, I think it's been about eight yeah. weeks. In those eight weeks, I have watched no cycling. It, uh, maybe it's been longer than eight weeks. No, it's been longer than eight weeks. We haven't. We didn't do anything in August or September, so it, I think we're looking at ten weeks. Yeah. So obviously, I've been in the wrong time zone. I'm not now. I'm in Newcastle at the moment, so I'm back. Uh, yeah. You you messaged me before this uh, about ten minutes ago, saying what are we going to talk about. Uh, so I'm glad that we put the the usual level of uh, dedication and preparation into these episodes. You know what? We've been planning on doing this recording and making a big comeback episode for weeks and weeks and weeks and we keep putting it off and and I think four weeks ago we had a plan in place and uh now uh, whatever let's we'll wing it for the next half an hour here we go um <laughs> our last episode Tom if you can cast your mind back was July 20th where we did a preview of the Tour de France fam avec Swift now just mm-hmm. to, to any listener who has been in the dark since then uh wondering how that race went um just to put you up to date it was Demi Vollering who won that one I'm googling um, that now. Yeah, <laughs> that, and I mean that is troublesome, Tom. If that's what you're going to have to, get, if if that's the level of cycling knowledge we're dealing with here, why have we? Why have we been away? Why have you been away, Tom? Um, well, as we are, I, I I was in Peru, so I've been in the wrong time zone for most of of the the summer and the cycling season. I got back just under a month ago. I've been very busy in that time. Um with non you don't have an excuse because you can say you've been busy with work but your work is cycling so <laughs> yeah i mean i've been to i've had a very busy summer i was at the tour de france then i was at the tour de france fam avec swift uh then i was at the world championships and i think like a lot of us i've been suffering a bit from kind of cycling fatigue well i, I guess um, not you you're you're fresh and ready to go i'm ready to go season could start i'm ready for the classics <laughs> Um, I thought what we would do is have a kind of review of the cycling summer. So mm-hmm. kind of w- one big catch up, one big sweeping catch up episode, um, our WTF moment. Uh, and if you don't know what that stands for, go and Google it. Uh, our hero of the summer, our villain of the summer and our star rider of the summer. Before we get onto that time, I thought we'd touch on um, some of the headlines in cycling at the moment. Let's do it. Um, There's a lot well, happening, actually. But I'm not bothered to talk about the merger thing because I find it all desperately boring. Oh, okay, um, I was going to get deep into the politics of cycling. No, we can. We mm, no. Um, Mark Cavendish, one more year. Yeah, and uh, I believe Michael Mercou has gone to Astana with him. Yeah. Th- now, this is my favorite bit of this story. My favorite bit mm-hmm. of the story isn't that Cavendish is doing one more year. It's the fact that it's very much like get the band back together sort of yeah. thing. <laughs> like Mercou's come on board. He's also brought in his um, coach from when he went. You know, the year he went back to Quick Step and he mm-hmm. won four stages, or whatever it was, and equaled the record. He was he did that under this Greek coach. And they've signed him up. He's gone to Astana as well. And it, it's giving very much like, you know, heritage film has sequel 20 years later. Like Top Gun and then Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> it's it's, it's Harry this Redman age this aging cast. Back, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And they're just completely forgetting the fact that Jasper Philipsen is in the form of his life <laughs> and will uh, win Cavani, every Cavani needs one good day for that record. He just needs Philipsen a little, you know, to get stuck in, in an echelon somewhere and uh, one day. Well, I read in the Danish news that apparently this is all... Be- th- there was never really any doubt about him uh, doing this this extra year. Apparently the, the day he crashed out off the Tour de France last year, he yeah. sent a message to Michael Morcou and said, Come and join the team. We're going to do it next year. Yeah, <laughs> quite a touch. Of that I mean, you can see that being like the opening scene in the film, in the in the sequel film. <laughs> do you want to jump What's your into next our? Headline? Oh, okay. That's no, that's it. That's all my headlines. I just want to okay. touch on that. Um, should we jump into our, our review of the summer? Our big review Let's of the summer. Uh, should we start with our WTF moments? Yeah, I mean, I've got one that's immediately come to mind. Um, because I mean, look, I've not got a big back catalogue of moments that I know about to go through here. Um, but I just want to talk about, in general, the first week of the Vuelta and the complete lack of organisation that there was there. Yeah, right. Go on, take us through some of the things that happened there. I've, I mean, I've just got these vague memories of like stages finishing in the pitch black at like <laughs> 10, 10 o'clock at night because it's 45,000 degrees in Spain in August. And, you know, there's seems to be no street lighting in where were there? Was it Barcelona? There was a time trial coming in. It, it was um, Barcelona. Yeah. And, yeah. and Remco gave this very impassioned, like, what the hell is going on here? Talk to the cameras afterwards. Yeah. And rightly so, because they're on like dark roads. No one can see them uh, at a stupid time. Um, which is not befitting of the second or third most significant race in the world. Yeah, that was mad, wasn't it? I, I, I wasn't watching it when that happened. You know what? We're really giving away our credentials here. We're, we're a cycling podcast talking about cycling races that don't watch the cycling races. <laughs> recording 10 weeks after our last episode. <laughs> recording, yeah. I mean, this stage happened like over a month ago, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember. I remember seeing that coming up on social media and be like, "This is surely a joke." Like this, how it, it just seems like very simple planning, right? You you check to see, like, you, if you live in that city, you know the sun goes down at this time, and if the race is happening at this time, they're going to be in pitch black. Have we got like some streetlights that we can turn on? Yeah, or just oh, God. and there was like there was like a sheet of water underneath on the floor as well, like it was raining. So it just everything had just gone against them. Oh, yeah, and it was just a succession of failures the whole time. Um, but then we got a very exciting welter out of it. I'm sure we'll revisit that when we're talking about our hero of the summer. Yeah, by the sound of you mentioning that, it seems that we might have the same hero of the summer. Uh, there's only one choice there, isn't there? Um, before we do that, I want to touch on a couple more WTF moments. Mm-hmm. Um, my my runner-up for WTF moment of the summer was Stefan Kung's time trial at the European Championships. Oh, wow. Is this where um, he looked like he'd just done 12 rounds with uh, Manny Pacquiao or something? <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly it yeah. blood cascading down his face a big dent in his helmet where Pacquiao had obviously landed a, a decent <laughs> blow um, I just don't understand how that was allowed to go on uh, there's no way he should have got back on the bike but technically, the thing is I was, I've been looking um, through concussion protocol and there's nothing in any of them that says they have to stop because of blood who was it? We saw an excellent quote, didn't we, from Tom? Uh, it was one of the Toms. Was it Tom Screens or I it sent you Tom the screens? It was Tom Screens. Who said his favourite DS um, would never keep spare helmets in the car because if you break your first helmet, that's it. You should not be getting back on the bike. Yeah, I think the issue with that with that 
with that race was that because it happened in a time trial and there's that mm-hmm. pressure of being against the clock, it's not like, okay, let's take a second, think about yeah. this, then we can draft you back into the peloton. It was every single second we're indecisive here, you're going to lose out. I get that, but I also, the policy that if you crack your helmet open and it is unusable, you've probably done too much damage to your head and shouldn't be getting back on the bike anyway. Yeah, I mean, that seems obvious to me. Yeah. Um, but it's it's weak, that argument against the power of the desperation of a Group Armour FTJ rider trying to get a victor in a bike race. I get that. And also, um, look, these time trial helmets probably... I assume they've got to go through rigorous safety tests, but they're more there for it as an aerodynamic aid these days than they are to keep your head safe. Very odd, very odd pictures that came out of that one. Um, and and my my winner, the WTF moment of the summer, Tom, mm-hmm. goes to Jordi Mayus. Okay. Winning for winning on the Champs Elysees at the Tour de France. Did that? I couldn't. Oh, yeah, you're right. There's, I, even now, I'm there going. I've already forgotten that that happened because it was completely out of nowhere. <laughs> I just remember watching it and thinking. I mean, the tour, the, the Champs Elysees stage is always a very unpredictable one because you don't know what state the sprinters are going to be in. Yeah. Right. You don't know where they. You don't know who's going to be sprinting. You, some of them might be using it as a kind of you know, dilly-dally around Paris and mm-hmm. soak in the moment. Uh, we've had that for in years where Wout van Aert, we just have no idea whether he's sprinting or not until you get to the final bend and you're like, okay, he's not bothering. Uh, you can say that about Wout van Aert just about any day though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, with Jordi Mayus, I was like, I've like, where has this guy come from? Also just like, I know nothing about him. That, that win on the Champs-Élysées was his first ever win at world tour level. His best win before that was... I mean, me looking through his results it's like the Czech tour a couple of like one yeah. day smaller races in uh, in Belgium his biggest win before that I think was a stage of last year's tour of Britain you know who uh, who was true to form who was not WTF and who was incredibly consistent on that stage on the Champs-Élysées would that be Brian Cocard our favourite seventh place man <laughs> did he come seventh yeah <laughs> oh. so I got it the uh, the top seven was Jordi Mayers then you're right, it is WTF, because he's beaten all the big names. In, he's Phillips in second, Groenewegen third, Pedersen fourth, Case Ball fifth, and Biniam Germay got up to sixth, and then Brian Cockard in seventh. Brian Cockard takes the the Brian Cockard award for coming seventh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what surprised I mean, me being at the Tour de France, he is a very, very popular character at the Tour de France. He seems a lovely guy. He, I, 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 yeah. I Don't make me feel bad for the ribbing that we give him on this podcast for coming seventh a lot because I do agree with you. He seems like a lovely guy. He's very generous with his time with the press. And ev- after every single stage, there's a big huddle around him to be like, right, Brian, dissect the sprint. And he's like, well, I don't fucking know. Oh, oh sorry, we don't know. Who's sorry on this podcast? Uh, you know, I don't know. We, we might have done before. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> he's like, well, I don't know. Like, I came like seventh or tenth. How am I supposed to know? <laughs> Um, he is a Madison World Champion, though. Is he? Uh, according to Wikipedia, I've got it up now. 2015 in in Yvelines, which is in France. He was actually um, one second off. Becoming oh no, the um, the team, mixed team time relay trial. this year. Yeah, the mixed team relay. He was one second off. France were one second off. They lost out to the Swiss. I know that was devastating. Yeah, that was a tough moment. Maybe toughest moment of the summer. Well, that's one of the things that I have been aware of because you were basically live tweeting that in my DMs, <laughs> keeping me up to date on Brian Cocard's potential uh, road gold medal. Giving you all the time gaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, hero of the summer, Tom. This this is a formality, this award. But why don't you say the uh, the two names of everyone's favorite favorite American? 
yeah, so this is going straight to Sepkus. I think we know this. You have long been an admirer of Sepkus. I know every year when we do our team of the season, <laughs> the first name you write down for domestique of the year is Sepkus, and you don't even need to look back through the season. You're just like, yeah, well, he wins it. Absolutely. I mean, when this welter was happening, I managed to go through old tweets of mine and found ones from like three years ago with me uh, watching tour highlights at like two o'clock in the morning going, oh my God, I love Sepkus. I think on that day, obviously when it looked like he was going to have it snatched away by his two teammates and he was talked about as a super domestique, that day that he proved himself on the, um, was it the Col de la Loz? It was one of those horrible climbs in that COVID tour where... Uh, he had the legs and stayed and waited for Roglic and sort of clawed him back and it was looked like he wasn't going to get the same treatment um yeah since that day at least I've been a big admirer of Sepkus I just the, the way he behaved and held himself was just so graceful throughout this entire Vuelta España um after the race there's a t-shirt printing company that I know and I sent him a message and I said please please make me a Sepkus t-shirt you guys need to make a Sepkus t-shirt <laughs> And um, they didn't reply, no. <laughs> <laughs> but which I thought was fair enough. But I, I just thought he, he, he was such a fitting winner as well. I mean, he lives in Andorra. Or did, no, he lives in Spain. Where does he live? Uh, he lives in Spain. I he think might, he lives in... Um... He might be in Andorra, though, or he might be in Girona. They're, they're all around there, somewhere in sort of northern Catalonia and near the Pyrenees. That's where they like to... I, now. I think he lives in Catalonia because he, he speaks Spanish and is learning Catalan. But then you would learn Catalan if you lived in Andorra as well, wouldn't you? Andorra is the only country where Catalan is the official language. There you go. Um, now, this I hope this isn't defamatory or anything, but I do know for a fact a lot of people would choose to live in Andorra because I think it's a tax haven. Oh, it's definitely a tax haven, and that's definitely it's, why a lot of people live there. And like all the Formula One drivers who live in Monaco, it's exactly the same thing. It's like, oh, you know, it's good. We're in the middle of the Pyrenees. It's a great base there. It's a tax haven, mate. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's great bike racing there. Like, you yeah. could a great uh, bike training there. I'm like, well, go on then. Show me the World Tour Tour of Andorra. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, show me the people that decided to put races on in Andorra because it's such good riding there. It does look like a really nice place. I mean, I, yeah, I'm i sure it is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, The thing about Sepp Kuz, and this is obviously stating the obvious, was that he's given the best part of six years of service to that team. The, the whole story just seemed perfect to me. The fact that he'd helped... Roglic win the Giro, he'd help Vinegard win the Tour, and now they had the opportunity to help him win the Vuelta a España. And in the moment, they were so hell-bent on just stamping on his neck. Um, they From were the outside, that's how it looked. It looked like it, and I just didn't understand these internal team politics. Um, there's no need... I mean, look, they did the right thing in the end, so none of us will ever know probably what conversations were had. Um but there were a couple of days where they were not making themselves very popular. No, I think it was, there was a moment that really stood out to me, which was the day it finished at the Angleroo. Uh, mm-hmm. Roglic won the stage. Sepkus kept the red jersey by a thread. And Is this after he was sprinting Mikel Lander for bonus seconds? After he rolled Mikel Lander and then apologised yeah. to Mikel Lander afterwards yeah. because his teammates had stabbed him in the back. And he... Turn, well, it, it, as he's getting in, you know, they do the podium protocol. Roglic has won the stage. They go to get in the team car, and Sepkus is waiting in the front seat uh, because Roglic does his stage thing afterwards, and he's coming back because he's done his interviews. And when Roglic gets back to the car, Sepkus gets out of the front seat and offers it to Roglic and goes to sit in the back seat. 
obviously that's very nice but if you're Sepkus and you're the you're sitting in the leader's jersey I don't care what team dynamic there is um and has been you know what precedents have been set for the last five years um certain things just shouldn't be allowed and he and maybe I think he should have been a bit more assertive there but it does just go to show <laughs> what his character is and how he's always willing to to put the team first now, now I know Tom that you have outed yourself on this podcast as a staunch believer of no gifts in cycling yeah um, I also do believe in that like um I I wouldn't want to be gifted of welter I would want to win it on merit but this is the thing um, I, I think it's different when you're in the leader's jersey, right? Mm-hmm. Like teams protect the leader all the time. Yeah. So the way that Roglic and Vingegaard behaved is probably not how you would expect a normal team to work. But the Jumbo team this year is like, I don't think we'll ever see anything like that again. But if there's two other guys who are quicker than you and they're letting you win, that almost just seems patronizing to me. Yeah. Well, we'll never know. Mm. Um, villain of the summer Tom who, who have you got in mind for the TT podcast award for villain of the summer <laughs> well I was actually going to say Primoz Roglic and Jonas Vingegaard for their yeah, behaviour at the world <laughs> I've got Jonas down for this one yeah um, oh go on then why, why have you well we know why but um, talk us through it I, I don't know look I just think with Jonas it starts at the Tour de France for me where he just he won that time trial, which it, that time trial could be our WTF moment of the summit. It could be the WTF moment of this century um, when he wins that time trial against Tade by, what was it, over a minute or something. The, the day he won the Tour yeah. de France in the second week. Yeah. Um, and then just like all of his answers to the media were never that well thought out or he, he just doesn't have a lot of time for it. And I appreciate that he's a more shy and reserved character than someone like Tade. Um, but then we see it goes into the Vuelta. He was never supposed to ride the Vuelta, um, but the team obviously decided to put him in because they thought he could win it. And then he's stuck in this. Maybe maybe he's not a villain. Maybe he's a victim of it, actually, where he's stuck in this kind of like, you've brought me here as a leader, and now I have to ride for Sepkus. Like, maybe he was just as confused as everyone else. But I just thought the way that him and Roglic dealt with it, from what we could see, just didn't look like the way you would expect riders to. I... Yeah, I mean, look, when you've got a team that strong and you've got three riders who are capable of winning Grand Tours all all of the same team, it must be difficult to handle. Um, but if you're the reigning Tour de France champion, would you not just treat it like, and you, you've come in at the last minute, you wouldn't just treat it as like, I'll have a leisurely three-week ride around Spain and try and help my mate out? The, the thing about Jonas, is, and I find myself sticking up for him here, is that he might never find himself in as good a position to win the Vuelta a España ever again. You know, he might get injured or he might not get selected for that race again, or he might decide, you know what, I'm not going to do that again. And then he'll forever be thinking, looking back and thinking, was it worth letting Sepkus have that? I don't know. I mean, if I'm him now, I have won two tours in a row. I'm almost thinking I wouldn't ride the tour next year and I would go for the Giro and the Vuelta double instead. That's true. Um, I don't know how the team would feel about that, but I'd want to complete the set rather than... um, I think to someone in his position, a Giro or a Vuelta at this point is more valuable than a third tour. Yeah, I almost agree. And I think that's where Tade was thinking previously as well. That's what Tade was thinking yeah. at the start of last year when he was like, well, you know what? I'm going to race Flanders and I'm going to race all of these classics because what's a third tour? Well, Tade is just a guy who loves riding his bike. And unlike 
Jonas, he is capable of winning these classics as well. Mm, no. I'm sure, I mean, that's pretty hard. I'm sure Jonas couldn't his day, but like Tade is one of the most accomplished all-round riders you've ever seen. I've not seen someone who can, you know, get up in a sprint, get over the cobbles, do whatever, um, and then also go and ride three weeks in the high mountains. There's no one, never been anyone who could do that like he can, I don't think. Mm. Maybe Wav Van Aert. Um, an- another contender I had for villain of the summer, Tom, is mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Lefebvre. He's been the villain of the last 20 years. <laughs> Mainly because of this whole merger slash takeover situation that's going on at the moment. Short synopsis for anyone that's not been following. Um, it looks like next season, all but assured, that um, Sudar Quickstep will be taken over by Jumbo Visma and will form a hybrid team. Um, but what that really means is that, you know, you can only have 30 riders on a team. So off those two squads, 30 riders are going to be cast aside. It looks like a lot of those will be the Sudan quick step riders who are not going to be able to find or won't be, you know, involved in this merger. Um, the reason I'm nominating Patrick Lefebvre for villain of the summer is because it seems, you know, this is very late in the season, right? This is October. Um, he's flogging his team to the killer wasps and, and leaving many of his riders jobless. It just doesn't seem like the most thought out thing. It seems like a quick get out sort of thing. Yeah, it's an odd one as well because that quick step team have been, well, they've been the most in for all of their existence. They've basically been the most successful team in cycling. Uh, and it looks, I mean, it looks like there's only going to be 17 teams on the world tour next year now because of this as well. There's a lot going on that I think is just unprecedented. It's odd, and I think we we got a snippet of it the other day when Ilan Van Wilder won a race, and nobody had really heard any of the quick step riders speak out about this, and he comes out and he says. I want to dedicate this win to all my teammates, the staff on the team, just to show that we don't agree with this shit. We want to keep Sudar Quickstep going next season. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's what's, that's the thought within the camp. Yeah. Um, the politics of it is interesting, but um, I just don't really get why it's happening at the same time. I, I think as a sponsor thing, I think next mm. season, I think Quickstep uh, pulling out of Sudar Quickstep and Jumbo are pulling out of Jumbo Visma. And they are two huge sponsors that support the team. So I think they're probably looking at the budgets and thinking, we're not going to be able to manage these squads next season. Um, which, is, which is mad because you've just said, you know, five minutes ago that you think that this is the, a, a completely outstanding season from Jumbo Visma that we will never see repeated in cycling ever again. If I ever and to think that that need... team is having sponsorship troubles. Yeah, I mean, if I ever need uh, my kitchen retiled, I would be getting a quick step floor. They're the only flooring company I've ever heard of because of their cycling sponsorship. The same way, yeah. if, I, if I need to go to a supermarket in the Netherlands, I would go into a jumbo. There you go. If that's any consolation yeah. for those two companies, <laughs> let it be known that your your impact is lasting. <laughs> uh, rider of the summer, Tom. Uh, rider of the summer. Interesting. Um, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, okay, tell me yours. I'll tell you who I've got, and then you can see if you concur with that with me. Mm-hmm. So my rider of the summer is Lotta Kopecky. Okay, uh, why? It's, the results speak for themselves. The Tour de France fan was absolutely madness. She wins the green jersey. She comes second on GC. Um, that, that penultimate stage, I'm stood on the Tourmalet, and... I've no idea what's going on. The, the clouds have submerged the mountain. And as they're coming up past the press office, which is press press room, which is about four kilometers from the top, 
I see whoever it was that came through first. Maybe it was maybe it was Vollering. Someone comes through, or maybe it was Nivea Dom or someone. Someone came through first, and then they came through at kind of intervals after that. And to see Lotte Kopecky coming, I think before Van Vluten on that climb, or may, or at least she, she came in at a time where I was like, you, I just have no idea how you've managed to hang on here, um, was just jaw-dropping. Uh, finishes second overall. Interestingly, a lot of the talk in the press room before that was around the possibility that Lotte Kopecky might pull out before the final weekend of the Tour de France fam because she would have to go straight to Glasgow. She She flew to Glasgow the Monday after it finished. So it finishes on the Sunday. She flies on the Monday to Glasgow to get her track training in for Worlds. So it kind of made no sense really for her to be there, apart from the fact that she was clearly on a on a mad one. Goes to Glasgow, World Championships, wins two world titles on the track, then goes and wins the road world title. Yeah, you know what? When you put it like that, it's hard to argue against. <laughs> <laughs> Who else did you have in mind? Um, I was going down the world championships route. Um because I was just delighted to see Mathieu van der Poel win. Yeah, it was... Um, I thought that was the strange thing about Glasgow. Not the strange thing about Glasgow, was the fact that the riders who won were very much the riders you would have expected to win, or the ones, I guess, most deserving. Like, the ones that would genuinely have been the best one-day riders in the world this year. Yeah, which you don't often find with the World Championships, because I no. think we all expected van der Poel to win in Harrogate in whatever year that was, when you were there getting soaked in the rain. 2019. And... And he lost to... He pulled out. He Pen didn't finish. No, he didn't finish. That's it. He just hit the wall, didn't he? And then, was it Trentin? Did he lose to... Did Pedersen win that year? Pedersen won, yeah. Yeah. Which, in hindsight, actually, is not uh, that shocking because Mads Pedersen's an incredible rider. But at the time, I think we all thought um, Matteo Trentin would beat him in a one-up sprint as well. Yeah, the, the World Championship is always a bit of a random one, isn't it? Like, mm. why well, you've got riders, you know, like Rui Costa, who have it on their sleeve, and Mads Pedersen, who at the time was a relative unknown yeah um, um certainly to a wider cycling audience obviously we then, had sagan win three in a row yeah the alaphilippe ones were probably justified although the second mm. one that he won he hadn't been on as good form that season um and then even could we, we talk well. about uh philippe gilbert in 2012 that was very deserved that was that was probably in the same realm as, as these two uh, I mean, at the time, though, that was off the back of a terrible... So he'd had that incredible 2011 season and then had won nothing in 2012 when everyone expected him to just go out and win everything. And then and then they put that World Championships on his on his favourite road in... Uh, what's the town called where Amstel Gold used to finish? I can't remember what it's called. Valken uh, but, uh, not Valkenburg, is it? Valkenburg. Is that the region? But there's the, that town at the bottom of that hill. I can't remember what it's called. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so I was just... It was nice. Matthew van der Poel has, has basically completed professional cycling now. Yeah, he's done most of it this year as well. Yeah. Um, he's a world champion. He's worn a yellow jersey. He's won Tour de France stages. He's won... How, how many monuments has he won? He's won Roubaix, Flanders, San Remo. <laughs> um, all in the last, like, two years as well. Yeah. Um he could at some point in his career, I imagine he'll win Liege, Baston Liege, Lombardia. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, he's basically done it. Can retire now. Go and go. do some go and do some cyclocross, which is what he the thing he actually likes to do. <laughs> um, one of my favorite things. People talk about the the curse of the rainbow jersey, Tom. And we can perhaps finish on this. Mm -hmm. um, Lotte Capecchi has come up with a, a a remedy for beating the curse of the rainbow jersey, uh, which is. 
So the Curse of the Rainbow jersey, for anyone that's not aware, is that once you win the World Championships, it's very difficult to get that kind of first win afterwards. It's a bit of a, yeah. you know, you've got, it's it's tough, it's tense, you're wearing the Rainbow jersey, there's more pressure on you to get that jersey. And everyone wants that picture, you know. We're talking... As a former world champion myself, you know <laughs> that you want to get a picture of yourself crossing the line, arms outstretched, in the Rainbow jersey. Are we talking Julian Alaphilippe uh, celebrating prematurely? Exactly. Um, so it's exa yeah. something like that. Like that's yeah. the curse of the rainbow jersey. Alaphilippe celebrating too early at whatever it was, Liège. No, it would have been Liège. Was, oh, maybe it was. Yeah, Liège. I think maybe it was, it was Liège. Liège. Later I think in the season. It was one of those years where the races were at the wrong times. Yeah. yeah. And you just get struck down with little curse things. Anyway, uh, Lotte Kopecky has beaten the system. Uh, what she did was about two weeks after Glasgow, she rode a 70 kilometer, well, 66 kilometer national series race in Belgium. Um, one from a field of about 30 riders. And uh, that's how you do it. But there, I, I didn't really recognize any other that's names. That's not fair, is it? When the world champion turns up to like your little sportive. <laughs> the person who came second was British domestic rider Joe Tindley, who rides for Pro Noctis. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's the scale of yeah. race in Belgium that we're talking talking off. And Kopecky and got that beautiful picture of her in the rainbow jersey winning. Curse that's... gone. She can enjoy the rest. And then she goes and wins the CIMAC Ladies Tour. And three weeks before that, she was going up the Tourmalade. Exactly. There you go. That's how, that's how you beat the uh, the Curse of the Rainbow Jersey, Tom. If you ever win a rainbow jersey. I'll keep it in mind. Um, Tom, socials, if you can remember what they are. Oh, my word. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. Uh, the socials, yeah, we'll be back on them. We might start using... Uh... No, we're all going to be kicked off Twitter within weeks anyway, aren't we? Look, if, if he makes us pay for it, <laughs> that's the end. We're not paying for it. So... Uh... <laughs> This might be the last ever episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. That's how long we've been off air. I don't think we've done an episode <laughs> since it's been renamed. We've been gone for so long that they've renamed <laughs> one of the biggest social media platforms. Uh, at TTPDCST. It's not got the same ring, does it? You can find us on X. The artist formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to make any promises for when we're next to an episode, Tom. Uh, well, we've timed this one perfectly. That there's not really any upcoming races for us to talk about now, are there? Yeah, we'll so we're, yeah. we'll do we'll do it when we feel like it. We'll see everyone. And, and, for you'll, all, and you'll all be very grateful when it happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom, it's been a, a pleasure being back on the airwaves with you, and with you. And thank you very much to the listener for uh, for jumping back on the uh, back on the bandwagon. Yeah, glad to be back with you. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.